Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Money, 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 Dollar, dollar. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Big Shots Podcast, brought to you by the Whole Nine Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Mike Hernishan. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Spencer WNS. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, my co-host, Devin the Verified Jackson. You can find him at RealD underscore Jackson on Twitter. But, Devin, we're joined by a special guest, and uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself. All right. My name is Carter Donick. I am a writer at Stampede Blue and also a writer at the Draft Network. And uh, I love everything draft. Now, uh, it's not often that uh, Devin and I feel like the old men in really any conversation, given that Devin is 24, I'm about to turn 24, but um, the amount of clout in this conversation, because Carter's only 17, correct? Uh, actually, three. No, uh, 17, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And again, and again, we mentioned this before we went on here. You're not Ben Solak, right? <laughs> I can confirm. I think my sources are, are conclusive enough that I can confirm that I am not Ben Solak. Yes. You know what? I started having my doubts when you started working with Solak. And I've never seen you two in the same same place. But Devin is in a very awkward predicament because he is the only American on a podcast that talks about the Big Ten Conference because I am in Toronto, Carter is in Manitoba, uh, and Devin, well, you're in Happy Valley. Yeah, uh, not quite uh, can, uh, different soil. Um, very, I don't even know what to say about being the only American on here. So I'm, I'm just letting you two Canadians go at it. <laughs> Uh, we promise not to, to sneak in um, any references to the Blue Bombers, the Stampeders, the Alouettes, or the Red Blacks. I know, Devin, you have no idea what any of those phrases I just you know, you've meant. I know Alouettes is like a Canadian football league team. Yeah, I, I literally just mentioned four of them. So. Oh, I can do one, one of the four. So. <laughs> All right. Um, so, no weekly rant, because, again, I don't think Carter wants to sit through me going on a rant about absolutely nothing. Uh, because Carter is, uh, well, one, it might be past his bedtime. Uh, but, two, he's a very important man, and I don't want to waste any of his time. So, let's get into some of this news. There were no draft declarations this week in the conference, but there was just a lot of news that went down, especially with the award season. Uh, so, leading off... Uh, Elijah Sindelar, the quarterback from Purdue, uh, many were speculating, including us, whether or not he was going to get a sixth year of eligibility after going down with that horrific injury uh, on the same play as Rondale Moore. Was that the Minnesota game? Uh, Minnesota game. Yes. Yeah, I think it was as well. Um, but, you know, he decided not to re uh, return to Purdue, so I immediately added him back to the, you know, the big board sheet. And then it came out about an hour or two later that he plans to just retire from football. He's got a degree in electrical engineering, and he's just he's just done. And it's kind of a shame because this was really a great start to the year uh, for him, and he really started to really shut the doubters up, including Devin and myself, because this this uh, preseason we kind of tore into him. We did not see it. He definitely proved us wrong, but unfortunately, just injuries took their toll with uh, Sindelar. So, wish him the best in his future. Know he's going to crush it because uh, an electrical engineering uh, degree from Purdue—that uh, isn't exactly time a dozen degree. Yeah, it's a prestigious school. Um, you know, known for engineering and 
you know, for him to go ahead and get his degree, you know, he's he's going to be, you know, he's still going to be set for life. I wish the best for Elijah Sin and Laura. Like I was saying, Purdue is a great university, and um, I'm sure he's still going to be doing great things, you know, outside of the football field. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, again, you and I were not uh, high on him. Carter, I don't know where you had him coming into the season, but like he definitely seemed to have turned a corner this year. It's a shame that his season got cut short and ultimately ended up being kind of a career ender. I mean, coming into the season, I thought he was more of kind of a, a priority UDFA type of guy. Um, the arm talent was there, but obviously the consistency and the accuracy and some of those things weren't really quite there. It was looking like he was starting to put it all together this year, potentially working his way into a draft selection. Um, but like you mentioned, the injuries and some of the consistency issues and stuff, it, it, it's much better that he goes and gets his degree. Um, and he's more comfortable with both kind of his future and his body. Yeah, for sure. I mean... I- like like we said, you know, wish him the best in the future. So that's one. Uh, there was a there wasn't any de- uh, draft declarations, but uh, Jonathan Cooper, the guy that was uh, opposite of Chase Young, he's uh, turned down the draft. He's going to return to Ohio State for what I believe is his senior year. Uh, he had a pretty good season. Uh, I think that he's just kind of anticipating that if Chase Young uh, ignores what TMZ says. Uh, and has put out, but actually decides to declare for the draft, then Cooper's going to be the next man up, and it's going to be his turn to dominate as Ohio State defensive ends are, are one to do at the college level. So not really much to say about that. Speaking of the Ohio State defense, uh, the defensive coordinator, Jeff Hatley, takes the Boston College head coach job. He had been linked. Uh, there were a lot of uh, Ohio State connections to Boston College, whether it was Luke Fickle, Al Washington, or ultimately Jeff Hatley. Uh, this is a, a knock-it-out-of-the-park hire, especially considering this is a guy with NFL ties as well. So uh, either of you guys want to add in your two cents. Well, I mean, I think Ohio State, they've got a pretty strong lineage with coaches. Um, we've seen it with Luke Fickle. Not quite as much Tom Herman, um, but those guys more on the offensive end of things. But on the defensive end, Hatley, like you said, he's done a great job with that defense. Coming in, especially with guys like Jeffrey Okuda, who's pretty raw coming in, even coming into the year this year, uh, turned him into a really shut-down CB. He's helped Chase Young develop, and he's just done a great job with that D. Yeah, I think he will do a, a good job with uh, Boston College. Uh, like you were saying, Carter, uh, he's done a great job helping prospects like Chase Young and uh, Jeffrey Okuda develop and uh, just become better players and really vastly improve this defense. I mean, Last year, they they definitely struggled uh, at times. Uh, We saw last year against Maryland and Purdue. But this year, they've been pretty stout defensively and uh, have dominated pretty much every game this season. So for him to move on and take the Boston College job um, shows a testament kind of the coaches Ohio State brings in and kind of develop, and then they uh, go on and be head coaches elsewhere. So great hire by Boston College. Yeah, my only thought when I, I read this was, man, just imagine what would have happened if Jeff had had like the the time at Ohio State because this was only uh, this was his one and only year there because it was Giano's team before or a uh, unit before. Um, just imagine what that would have like if he was already at Boston College when like Zach Allen was there and Matt Milano and Lucas Dennis and like they actually had NFL talent on defense. But Steve Adazio was just such a bad coach that that team was just always destined for six or seven wins. It was, it they were always kind of a depressing program in, in my opinion. So hopefully Atley's able to kind of come in, get bring some legitimacy to that program. Um, this next one, I'm not really sure if it's a joke 
as to uh, whether there's a joke in there about legitimacy, but can we just talk about Greg Schiano's quote at the Rutgers basketball game about how Rutgers will be number one? Uh, I'm leaving this out to both of you. What is Rutgers going to be number one in? I think the most obvious answer to that question is we'll be number one in losses. Um, <laughs> be number one in... I don't know what else. I think that's the only thing I can come up with. It sure as heck isn't wins, I can tell you that. Uh, um, could it be Art Sitkowski interceptions? Because uh, I don't know how much you know about Art Sitkowski, the quarterback that redshirted himself mid midseason this year, uh, Carter. His uh, 2018 season, he had four touchdowns to 18 interceptions and had a game where he went two of 16. I am well aware of the monstrosity <laughs> that is Art Sitkowski. I mean, I saw this guy, like, I, I saw on the news, like, when he started at Rutgers, like, oh, true freshman's going to start. I'm like, oh, maybe this guy has something. And then you turn on the film, and, oh, he has something all right, but uh, not not quite what you want. I was shocked when I found out he was an IMG guy. I didn't know that they allowed players to play to go to IMG. I mean, I think he, <laughs> I mean, he played okay this year, but he also got punched something. in... Yeah. He played okay this year, he also got punched in the face by his own lineman, so... <laughs> <laughs> He got Geno Smith. Uh, but yeah, uh, Devin, what's uh, what's Rutgers going to be number one in next year? Uh, I would say number one in the butt of jokes in college football, probably. Um, they, they just always do something that is not necessarily great. I mean, the Sikowski get punched in the face. Um, Shiano's quote, quote now. Uh, I think they also said they want to be like, a, they're going to be like a top student section or something like that. Uh, in the conference. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess Shiano has high hopes. Uh, he's going to have to bring a lot to turn records around. I am going to say that they are number one in sleepless nights for Greg Shiano, wishing he had stayed at Tennessee. Uh, moving on to the next one. Uh, we're just going to go through some uh, of the awards from this past week. So, uh, Chase Young finishes fourth in the Heisman, and that's bullshit. Uh, despite finishing with the second most uh, first place votes, uh, the Heisman makes no sense. Uh, I don't know how any of these voters uh, could possibly see Chase Young as anything b uh, below but the second best player in the country behind uh, Joe Burrow. Uh, Fields finished third, and J.K. Dobbins finished sixth. So, I mean, Ohio State was shocker stacked uh, with talent all year. Jonathan Taylor wins the best uh, running back award, the Doak Walker. Chase Young doesn't get the Heisman, but does bring home the Bidneric as the best defensive player. Tyler Biotish wins the Remington as the best in, uh, interior offensive lineman. So, I mean, the, the talent has always been there this season with the Big Ten, and they just cleaned up at the awards show. Yeah, I don't think it's really a surprise. Uh, the top set their position, uh, not only in the conference, but... Uh, nationally, um, I think Jonathan Taylor winning Doe Walker. I don't want to say it was a no-brainer because Hubbard had a really good season too. I, I know you uh, guys both claim Chuba, Hubbard, Canadian, um, but Chase Young was obviously the the best defensive player and uh, best defensive line player all year. Um, Biadish from Wisconsin, clearly uh, a first rounder, uh, probably will be the first center taken off the board. Uh, one of the first few linemen. So it shouldn't be. It would, it's not really a surprise, in my opinion. Uh, Wisconsin is known for making great linemen. The Big Ten in general is, um, and 
them winning those awards uh, honestly came to no surprise. Yeah, I mean, the one big well, takeaway like... in terms of the... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Carter, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no. No, that's okay. That's okay. Go. Uh, so I, I, what I was going to say is uh, I think the one takeaway is I think that Jeffrey Okuda got absolutely robbed of the Thorpe Award when you think about the fact that Grant Delpit won the best defensive back in the country and was not named a first-team All-American. I'm still not sure how that works. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, uh, maybe Carter, you can enlighten that one. But uh, you know, in terms of the other awards, like what, what's your take on it? Well, I mean, I'm just as puzzled with you about the whole Delpit situation. We're talking about a guy who's probably worsened his draft stock this year. I don't think you really rarely have a guy worsen his draft stock and then also win the award for the best at his position in college. And I'm not saying Delpit's a bad defensive back by any means. He's a great defensive back. But even on LSU, you could argue he might have been the third best defensive back on that team. Because I think Derek Stingley had a better season, even as an 18-year-old. And I could argue Christian Fulton had a better season, too. So if you're looking at that award, I'd probably go with either Stingley or Okuda, like you said. Um, but yeah, very disappointing that Delphi won that. As for the other awards, I mean, Young Slam Dunk, uh, Jonathan Taylor. You can make the argument for Hubbard or J.K. Dobbins. But again, the award being... In his name, especially after getting, getting snubbed from a Heisman invite for the third straight year. I think that's very Which irritating. I still don't understand. Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, just add, just add another player. Add, add the five. Yeah. I mean, just, I, I would have put, put him over Hertz for sure. So, Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, a four-person like finalist, it, it, it's awkward. It just looks awkward. I don't know, like, just, just make it five. Just a nice round number. Or like, just, you know, multiples of five, people. Come on. Um, and then the last one, uh, the Indiana Athletic Director, Fred Glass, uh, announced that at the end of the academic year, so that would be after all the sports are wrapped up in May and June, uh, he is going to retire. Uh, I just figured that that was something to, to throw in uh, just at the end, just because I saw that uh, today. Uh, but, yeah, Indiana, uh, you know, AD goes out on top with their best football season in a lot of years, man. Uh, their first season with, I believe, more than seven wins since uh, either the early 90s or the late 80s. It's been a while. Yeah, he's uh, he's leaving the Indiana program, football program specifically, in good hands. Um, like you said, they had their best season quite some time football-wise. Uh, Could have even had a better record as well. Um, they're going to be in a, a pretty good bowl game to to play in. So uh, he's leaving, you know, the football program, especially uh, since we have kind of emphasis on that. Indiana, Indiana basketball has been kind of up and down over the years, but um, most of the time they're usually a contender. Football really hasn't been. So for them this year to, to really turn it around and uh, really come to fruition with some of the things that they've done this season, um, I think it's, you know, fitting, you know, for him to end that and then whoever comes in is going to not only have big shoes to fill, but continue to advance the football program and the facilities at Indiana. Yeah. They just, they just had a great season this year. Uh, everything just kind of fell into place for them. All right. So, I mean, we have someone here, Devin from the draft network. So I figure it's probably time that we ask him some draft specific questions. So, Carter, uh, the first one I'm going to ask you is, who is the most underrated Big Ten prospect you've watched? All right. I'm going to take a little bit maybe of a, of a, a cheap kind of path here. Uh, I'm going to go with a guy who's still probably considered late first, early second round player, that Sean Wade. 
you're thinking, oh, how can that guy be underrated? I think Sean Wade is a top 20 prospect all day long. I know everyone's talking about Jeffrey Okuda, and Jeffrey Okuda is also a top 15 prospect in his own right. Great player. But Sean Wade reminds me a little bit of Jair Alexander, actually, uh, on the Green Bay Packers. He's not really got quite the same swagger, um, but the tackling and quick twitch ability is all there. Just a redshirt sophomore, so still kind of growing into his game. So maybe not, might not declare either. Maybe that's why the hype has been a bit lessened. But just overall strong instincts, plays much bigger than his size suggests, and it's just an all-out baller. I like that answer, man. I mean, as soon as you said top 20 player, my, my eyes lit up because I'm looking at my big forward right now with Sean Wade's at 24. Um, I had him as a safety uh, for a bit, and then I kind of realized that, no, he's he's an outside corner guy, and he can move all around as like a chess piece. I like the Jair Alexander uh, comp because I haven't really been able to, to settle on one yet just because he is so young and there isn't really a lot of tape going back on him because, again, redshirt sophomore didn't really play too much as a freshman. I kind of got a little bit of like a poor man's Chris Harris Jr., which is really high praise. Like, that speaks to the ceiling of this kid. So I'm really glad uh, that uh, the Canadians are seeing eye-to-eye on what should be um, a first-round player this year. Or if he decides to go back, we may be looking at the top corner in 2021. Uh... All right, so we did we did a underrated. Now it's time to get negative. Carter, who's the most overrated prospect? Okay, uh, we're gonna have to go with Eter Gross Matos on this one, the edge defender. From oh, the <laughs> and now that's not to say necessarily that he's a terrible player or that he shouldn't really be selected for a second, third round, all that. It's simply that he's really just a risk reward player. We're talking about a freak athlete here. I mean, he ran sub four six at like two hundred sixty five pounds. That makes no sense. Um, <laughs> he's also got great character and like an unbelievable story. I'd, I'd suggest researching his story and his past because it's pretty crazy and pretty unbelievable. But most of his production is still on stuff like stunts and kind of high effort kind of plays, um, high effort plays that kind of like are kind of broken down plays. Um, his bend and flexibility has improved on twenty nineteen tape. But I still put in big bull letters his overall consistency as a rusher is lacking. He doesn't really have a real plan when he's rushing the passer and mostly uses his athleticism. He's a different player and plays a different position than Rashawn Gary last year. But you're getting that same sort of athlete over film type of kind of predicament when you're picking him or you're thinking about picking him with a first round selection. I mean, all, all great valid points. I mean, like you said, his his 2019 tape was a lot better than the 2018 tape. I was not high on Gross Matos uh, coming into the year. I think in my initial top 50, which is basically when I just watched 50 guys, uh, and that was in around August. I think I had him in the late 30s, early 40s. Um, you're right. The, the consistency does uh, need to show up a little bit more. Um, he does flash. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of like uh, a little bit of a less refined Brian Burns from last year, where like he's uh, and I mean he's obviously like thirty pounds heavier than than Brian Burns was, but that tall, wiry guy where he's either gonna just absolutely show out or he's gonna be completely invisible. But when he's on, he's like he's on, and the numbers may not always suggest it, but. When uh, when he's having a great game, he's always um, right up in the quarterback's face. He was a lot of the reason why, um, you know, 
Penn State was able to kind of keep with Ohio State because Steyer Munford just couldn't block him. He played pretty damn well against Minnesota. He's just he's he's uh, vulnerable to slides where you look at the stats and he's not there because he didn't make a tackle and he didn't really pressure the quarterback much. So again, honing the consistency, but the raw traits are there. So that's why Devin and I are probably a lot higher on him than you are. Yeah, like I was saying, I've gotten to watch him play a few times this season, and uh, Carter was pretty much spot on with his kind of analysis. There were game, there were times and games where you were looking around trying to figure out, was he on the field? Uh, one game in particular that stood out to me it was the Pittsburgh game, uh, and they dropped back the pass probably over 50 times, and he, I don't think he had a single pressure in that game. And I think that was like one of the kind of the aspects of his game, like you said, that needs to improve. He his consistency. One week he will be, um, you know, getting several pressures, making tackles for loss, but then another week he would be kind of disappear and uh, not fill the stat sheet or not make that presence known. Um, and uh, you know that'll be definitely concerning as a team trying to draft him. And uh, it will definitely be a project because, like you said, it he used a lot of his athleticism to, to shed blocks and uh, create disruption in pass rushing. So it's definitely something to look out for. Like like you say, he has the traits and the, the freakish athletic ability, but now it's time to really refine his game and um, start to develop as a player. Well, I mean, with that potential as well, um, you're talking about a guy who, again, I would have really have no problem with taking him in the second round, but at this point, you're probably looking at him definitely as a first-round selection. And after the combine, I'd probably expect him to rise above maybe 25, even even 20. Um, he's just not quite in that same tier as, obviously, a Chase Young or even a AJ Epineza. More kind of in that Caleb on Chase on, boomer bust range, looks like top 15 pick one game, looks like third, fourth-round pick the next. So it'll be interesting to see how teams kind of evaluate that type of player compared to maybe like Boise State's Curtis Weaver, who's more consistent, but the traits aren't quite there. Um, and, and that overall potential isn't as high. I feel like you just named all of some of like my favorite players. I just, I love this edge class just from top to bottom. Um, and like there, there are some guys that uh, I don't even add on that, that list that we'll get into later that uh, I wouldn't mind seeing if, if you've watched uh, later. So I'll, I'll add those in. Um, and then last, uh, non-player specific was, um, what player in the conference, uh, has your opinion changed the most on over the course of a season? So that can be someone that you were really high on in the conference that you're now kind of like, or vice versa, where you were really low on them and then they've just kind of blown expectations out of the water. Well, I think I'm going to go here, another popular name. I'm going to go probably with a pretty popular answer here in J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I, I, I loved his freshman tape, honestly. The the agility and lateral cuts he was making for an 18-year-old were crazy, crazy good. Um, and I kind of got in a bad habit, as did a lot of people, of, of kind of souring on him last year. Mike Weber stole a lot of the touches. And, I mean, I, I still thought he was the better back, but you're kind of looking at the two and you're thinking there's not a huge difference here. Uh, and if you want to be kind of a second or third round back, that's an issue if you're not really clearly outplaying the other running back in your backfield. Um, so night and day this year compared to last year, he's gotten back to that freshman, better than even his freshman freshman tape. Uh, Bell Cow, almost like a better David Montgomery with kind of that lateral agility, that quickness, that footwork that power, that stocky frame, and he's got much better vision than Montgomery, so I think that really helps him accentuate all those traits. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, same with me on Dobbins. Uh, liked him as a freshman. Um, I get at least one or two messages from some of the whole nine people every single week uh, whenever J.K. Dobbins would show out because when I was on the whole nine sports podcast back in July, Carter, I mentioned that he was my running back eight and that I had compared him to Benny Snell. So I am getting flooded with <laughs> messages about that about once a week. Um, he is uh, running back three for me uh, so far. I fully expect him uh, to declare. I think he's definitely in that DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, um, you know, conversation of potential RB1. I think that they are starting to get really tightly grouped together. Uh, he looks a lot faster than he did in either of his last two seasons. I don't know if he was playing hurt, especially in his sophomore year, but like he, he's gained a gear, and the fact that he's now uh, able to catch out of the backfield, I think it's only going to add to his value. All right, so um, Carter, we got some player uh, opinions we're looking for, uh, just specific players you can go on as little or as long as you want about these specific guys. I'm just going to add a couple of more as we're talking as well. But uh, the first guy I want to hear about is Patty Fisher because we've been hearing his name for three years. And I f uh, Devin and I both kind of feel like in three years he hasn't really progressed all that much and is kind of more of a mid to late day three guy. I'll definitely agree with you there. Uh, we're talking about a guy who... Yeah, two years ago, he had some hype on him. He had a lot of hype on him as a potential early-round candidate. It really looks like he's regressed each year, specifically kind of with his speed and with his athletic ability, which wasn't even super all that impressive to begin with. He's still kind of a physically imposing player. Um, he offers kind of a stiff set of pads and hands. But he's looked slower and worse in coverage each year. Instincts are there at times, but at other times they're kind of iffy and, and go away. He's a bit of a conundrum. I almost think kind of almost like a taller Josie Jewell. And I know both are white and both are from the Big Ten, so that might just be like looking like an easy comparison. Um, but Josie Jewell was also a day three guy, and that's where I'd expect Fisher to land as well. I've compared Patty Fisher to Kentrell Brothers, so uh, to, you know, to avoid people just thinking white linebacker uh, from Big Ten school. But kind of like... You know, but the problem with the, my comparison when I do Kentrell Brothers is, like, Kentrell Brothers would just pile up stats. Whereas, like, Patty Fisher, you look at the box score, and it's, like, four or five sacks. Sorry, four or five tackles. Um, and I meant sacks. Uh, sorry, tackles, not sacks with Kentrell Brothers. Uh, but, like, you watch the film on Patty Fisher, and he's he's he seemed to almost shy away a little bit from contact. Now, again, we, we've seen that with some of these guys that are, you know, saving themselves for the draft. And I think that Patty Fisher, especially as the season went on and Northwestern started just getting pummeled into the dirt on a week-to-week -week basis, uh, really the effort from him was just not there on a week-to-week -week basis. So I don't know if that's uh, like an effort thing saving himself or whether he's just kind of regressed. Well, I can agree um, with that. He looked oh, go ahead. a lot really he looked a lot less kind of inspired as the season went on. Um, again, I don't know if it's more of a record thing or just Northwestern's kind of poor season that had him down. But when you kind of combine those effort concerns with already kind of average athleticism and a lack of upside, those are all things that really do not go well when you combine them together. Yeah. Uh, one guy that Devin and I are so pumped is uh, that we're going to be able to see down in Mobile, uh, Malik Harrison. 
Uh, I love this kid. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a it's a pretty weak linebacker class outside of the top kind of three guys. I'd say Dylan Moses, Isaiah Simmons, Kenneth Murray, that kind of consensus top three guys. Malik Harrison is making a very kind of strong case to be that fourth guy and that first person in that next kind of line of linebackers. Now, I mean, he's he's an average athlete kind of at best. He's not got super high upside. Um, his man coverage ability still remains a pretty big question mark, but he's elite coming downhill on the ball carrier. He's got a thick frame. He's such a strong tackler. Great pad pop, packs a punch. All things you love out of an inside linebacker, and he doesn't. Yeah, uh, right now I'm looking at my, at my board. I have... Uh, he, he's linebacker five to me. I have him behind Jacob Phillips of LSU. Uh, but he is, if I'm looking at it right now, Malik Harrison is uh, at number 60 on my board. So I think he can probably find a way to, to sneak into like the end of round two, early round three. I think that's kind of his range. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to see this kid down in Mobile and see... Uh, just see him show out. Hopefully, uh, he's a guy that stays committed. We've seen guys drop out in the past. Um, another senior bowl guy, uh, Josh Uche, the edge rusher from Michigan. little undersized, but, I mean, this kid showed out this year. Well, I mean, pretty undersized. But when you talk about bend, great hips, flexibility, he is about as good as it comes with those types of things. I mean, he's pretty one-dimensional, needs to come in with a lot of speed, almost like a poor man's Brian Burns. I know you compared um, Gross Matos to Brian Burns up top, but I, I think this is maybe more of an appropriate comparison to him. He's rubbed out of place pretty easily if he's not initially successful, so pretty boomer bust with his pass rush plan. He can over-pursue a lot, so a lot of raw refinement that needs to be had, but he's, again, freakish flexibility, great bend and great hips. And in the pass rush class, that again, it's pretty strong, but you go down to where Uche is being projected to go in third round, fourth round. To find guys with that kind of pass rush upside in those rounds is not a, a, a usual occurrence. So over seven sacks in back-to-back years, you have that high upside. He's a guy I'm very intrigued by. Yeah, I think I mean, uh, I was going to say, I think once he gets to the league, I think immediately he can be like a third down kind of rusher that they bring in um, until he starts to like refine the rest of his game. But uh, he's definitely explosive. You know, he he definitely changed some games for Michigan this year. Uh, he, he can wreak havoc with his speed. Um, like you say, he's undersized. So definitely something he'll have to, to kind of work on. But I'm interested to see, you know, kind of what team takes him and then kind of what role they implement him in. And uh, I think he'll be early in his career, probably primarily a third down rusher uh, specialty guy. But I guess the more he uh, kind of grows and uh, continues to get stronger and kind of refine skills, I think he, he can turn into a solid starter in the NFL. All right. The next guy I got for you, Carter, uh, possibly the best quarterback uh, in the conference in terms of draft eligible guys, which is not saying much at all. Nate Stanley. Yeah, that's not really a great uh, – you'd think that would be much better than it actually is, the way you way you set that up. Um, look, I mean, Nate, Nate Stanley looks like a smart kid, uh, tall, big. He fits pretty much every, like, prototypical, like, tall, white quarterback of the last, like, decade. Um, oh, absolutely. Processing is slow. Delivery is slow. Accuracy is shoddy. 
he's got when everything is right and when he's when he's in time and when he's in rhythm he can look like a pretty decent passer think almost kind of like a connor cook out of michigan state i know another big 10 white quarterback yeah yeah yeah. Um, if the shoe fits but again looks like a prototypical exactly he looks like a prototypical passer some team is going to think oh he lined out of i formation therefore he's nfl ready and they're going to take him fourth fifth round and he's going to be a backup for five years and he's going to be out of the league and and i don't i I don't know but uh not that high on him think he is probably i'd have him more of his kind of a throwaway kind of sixth seventh round pick i think with those traits and with people thinking of that pro readiness uh it'll probably vault him into much higher range probably around round four yeah i'm not I mean, I I had a whole rant on Nate Stanley after the Michigan game on here because, well, first of all, that Iowa-Michigan game was one of the worst games I think I've had to watch in at least two or three years. Um, um, one turnover going into that game, he had three interceptions. Uh, Iowa was despicably bad. Uh, he did not seem to want to have the ball in his possession at any time. Because it seems like anytime Michigan turned the ball over, Nate Stanley would, within about three or four plays, throw another interception. That was a terrible game. Um, yeah, I'm thinking he's like fifth, sixth round. But these quarterbacks are going to get up because once you get past Burrow and Herbert, Eason, Love, Tua, uh, Fromm, if he comes out, like once you get past that, like six or seven guys. There's nothing in this class. It takes, like, the biggest jump off a cliff I've ever seen. Actually, not not that I've ever seen. Probably since 2015, where you had uh, Jameis go one, Mariota go two, and then it was, like, three rounds before we saw another quarterback taken. Like, yeah, I that think that was Garrett, Garrett Grayson that year. I think I remember that in New Orleans. I remember and Brandon I could... Bridge being my QB4 that year. Air Canada. Air Canada, exactly. I my brother actually played with his brother, so no uh, bias there, no bias, no no bias whatsoever, no, none whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a weak class. This is like very top heavy. There is almost no depth to this cl- to this quarterback class. And when you look at the Big Ten specifically, Nate Stanley was the best we got because we had Shea Patterson. No. We had Brian Lewerke, double no, and then we had, like, nothing else. Either guys that weren't draft eligible or, you know, Peyton Ramsey lost his starting job, then got it back and then lost it, you know, due to injury, then, like, had to finish out the year. Like, honestly, I think the most impressive draft-eligible quarterback was Peyton Ramsey, and there's no way he declares. Well, and, I mean... Unfortunately, he can't declare, but I mean, if you're looking at the top quarterback and the top Heisman favorite for next year, it's obviously Art Sitkowski at record. <laughs> that was a plot twist. <laughs> Yo, Carter would fit in perfectly with us here, man. Art, Art Sitkowski is like folklore at whole, at whole Nine Sports. Like, he is mentioned somehow in just about every pod, you know, podcast on, like, on all of our podcasts. Um... Yeah, he is. I, I'm Carter. You, you ever want to come join? Yeah, you, you'd fit right in. Um, next up, uh, no, not the one that's dominating the NFL, but the corner from Nebraska, Lamar Jackson. Okay, on name alone, 
first round grade. Uh, first round grade. No, but more seriously, uh, he he fits kind of that Seahawk mold of tall corner, six three ish, great arm length. Um, ideally, kind of a zone guy can struggle in man again with that bigger bigger size and that bigger frame. His hips and flexibility leaves a lot to be desired. But he's a strong tackler. He's a big physical guy. Fits that mold. Fits where the league is headed in that direction. Perfect kind of mid-round developmental candidate. Um, kind of third, fourth round. Think he's he's thicker and he's bigger. So I really don't want to say Isaiah Johnson from Houston last year. I don't know if I love that comparison, but expect him to kind of go, I guess, in similar range, um, and to be viewed similarly by NFL teams. Yeah, I kind of get that, like, uh, Jawan Williams, the Vanderbilt kid from last year as well, that kind of, like, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, yeah, that's a good corner. one. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, you know, and again, that was, um, you know, kind of, like, third round. Some teams may view him as a safety, um, you know, but, uh, again, the height is going to get him kind of overdrafted, um, and we've seen this time and time again. Look at Kevin King. But I think Lamar Jackson is, like, way better a prospect than Kevin King was. I think we've kind of learned from that experiment uh, that that was just a, an utter failure. Uh, this is one where people are either all over him, like we are, or they, like, don't have him anywhere near, like, rankings. Antoine Winfield Jr. All right. So I think a lot of people just look at kind of the redshirt sophomore tag and they're thinking, oh, he's not going to declare. But then if you do more research, you realize he's not your regular redshirt sophomore right he's had multiple season ending injuries he's much older than your usual retro sophomore so i think it's very likely and it's probably in his best interest to declare and if he does declare kind of like we were saying with malik harrison at that linebacker spot the depth kind of falls off a cliff after you reach those top three guys similar at safety you go past grant delpit and xavier mckinney wide open at the safety spot i like action davis out of cow i like a few other guys but antoine winfield right there with them Style of play is obviously concerned, especially with the injuries in his past uh, and his kind of lack of frame. Not the greatest athlete either, but man, his instincts and range are top-notch. You can tell he obviously has that bloodline in him of an NFL player. And like we said, weak safety class, he could make a real name for himself. I've got him as safety three. Uh, I love this kid. I've got a second run. I've got like a kind of mid to late second round grade on him at, at the moment. Uh, like you said, older prospect. I really think that uh, people are just overthinking it with the redshirt sophomore because, again, he's... I mean, he's already been given, I believe, another two years of eligibility based off of those season-ending injuries. Like, I think he's closer to well, he's essentially a senior, yeah. Age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Carter, before we, go, before we move on, because uh, I did forget to mention this in the beginning, uh, but, I mean, Devin, Carter, you guys can both answer this question. Y'all like free stuff, right? Of course. All right, of course. Now, Carter, I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but uh, at Whole Nine Sports, we're giving away uh, a free Amazon dot on Christmas, nonetheless. If we're able to get to 500 followers by midnight on Christmas, all you have to do is just follow Whole Nine Sports. If we get to 500 followers by Christmas, and we are so close, I believe we are in around that 50 away range. So if we can just get like five or six a day for the next like nine, ten days, we're recording this on Monday. Um, it's within range, guys. So, I mean, you didn't quite get what you wanted on Christmas. Well, when it comes to you on Boxing Day or shortly after, then, uh, you know, 
late Christmas present. You don't need an, you know, an Amazon Echo Dot? Then sell it, and who doesn't like a little bit more cash in your pocket? So all you have to do is just follow at Whole9Sports on Twitter. Uh, we are constantly retweeting these, drawing as much attention as we can. We want to give you free stuff. So let us give you free stuff. Help us help you. Now that that plugs out of the way, uh, there are a couple more guys. Uh, the next two edge rushers, I'm not really sure if you've watched them, so I'm just going to uh, kind of group them together. You can say, uh, say your part on them. Carter Coughlin, the edge rusher from uh, Minnesota, who's going to be down in Mobile, and Olawole Batiku Jr. from Illinois. He is a redshirt junior. I'm not sure if you would have seen him yet. All right, that second name is a mouthful to pronounce in its own right. Um, and no, unfortunately, I haven't seen him. I have seen Coughlin, though, so I can talk about him. Uh, pretty strong edge rusher at the point of attack. Good run defender. Um, I think he leaves a lot to be desired in the pass game and with his athleticism. Um, ideally, kind of a day three type of guy. He's not really a Max Crosby in the type of kind of length and 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 athleticism you'd see out of a Crosby on a day three. He's not that type of guy. He's the type of guy that's going to play kind of interior on third downs, but ideally be on the outside, uh, make a presence for himself in the run game, and try to fit on a team in the special teams aspects of the game. All right, yeah. Uh, Batiku, uh, I believe his production dropped off due to an injury, but uh, at about the halfway point of the season he was second in, in the conference behind uh chase young he fell off a bit behind guys like willikis uh chris or zach bond uche epineza as the season went on um a little bit of of a speed guy um you know has some power to his game obviously he was the the uh focal uh rusher in the fighting line eyes defense af, uh, with the uh, Bobby Roundtree injury, uh, the the spinal cord injury he had, uh, so Batiku became their their feature guy. Um, again, he's probably going to come back, so it's a name to keep an eye on for next year. Um, and then I think that these next two, again, we can kind of group together. Uh, one's at the Shrine game. One declared last week. Uh, Rodney Smith from Minnesota. Man, Minnesota has a lot of prospects this year that I like. Uh, and Anthony McFarland Jr. from Maryland. So McFarland Jr., almost like a poor man's Travis Etienne. If you miss out on Etienne in the early rounds, if you come back and get a McFarland in the later rounds, credit to you because I think that's a great selection. Has speed to burn, kind of that home run threat that Etienne is, although not quite as good at many other aspects. But Burner, excited to see him at the Combine. I think he's going to post probably sub 4-4. Really excited about him. Again, home run threat kind of doesn't have much to offer besides that. Would like to see more passing game production out of him, but he has that one trait and he has it in spades. As for Smith, kind of a different style, more of an all-around guy. I was really impressed with his pass protection in the film I studied. Um, I think that could be a big key to him getting early snaps at the next level. Also kind of a late-round guy, um, but someone that it's hard to really justify why, but he's just someone you like. Um, again, that all-around balance nature is really something that kind of appeals to me out of him, that pass protection, like I said. And he keeps those legs churning, constantly moving forward, very rarely takes tackles for loss, patient. Um, again, not the greatest athlete, not going to wow you physically, but very, very solid. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Rodney Smith had like a really good stretch where I think it was three out of four games he was either uh, close to or over 200 yards. Uh, this is back when, uh, at that point in the season where Minnesota just could not establish uh, the passing game for like three, four weeks, and then they couldn't establish the running at Minnesota had a weird anemic offense this year. Um, whereas Anthony McFarland Jr., uh, Devin and I have both been more impressed with Javon Leak, uh, his backup on film, because uh, he had better production on less carries. Anthony McFarland, uh, basically for a good like two months in the season, between like I'd want to say the Temple game and the last game of the season, you almost didn't hear from him. It was almost entirely Javon Leak. He had some games where he was averaging like one or two yards per carry and was only getting like six carries. I don't know if that was a scheme thing, whether that was a discipline thing. I'm just kind of, I, I, I'm very cautious on him because again, he's small, he's only got the speed, and the production really isn't there with him. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL uh, views him. Uh, I know Devin's kind of biting, biting his tongue because he's, he, he's even lower on Anthony McFarland than I am, and I have like a like sixth or seventh on him at the moment. Yeah, like I was saying, uh, McFarland, uh, I think I think he's a good player, but I, I was just disappointed on his uh, redshirt sophomore season after having a phenomenal breakout freshman season. Um, just didn't see that same explosiveness that he had freshman season. Uh, I don't know if he was dealing kind of with a nagging injury or anything like that, um, or just playing behind a pretty bad offensive line. Um, it, it would just, I don't know. It, it was kind of weird to me that he kind of declared after kind of a down season so far for uh, Maryland. So I'm interested to see kind of how he performs in the combine. Uh, should he be invited and uh, how he does in his pro day or if he decides to go back to school or anything like that, depending on the opinion he gets from, you know, kind of experts and, and scouts. So, um, I'm just interested to see what he can do going forward um, once he gets to the next level, uh, should he go ahead and get drafted. All right, so uh, there were a couple more guys that I had uh, listed, but uh, in, in the interest of fairness, uh, I didn't want to kind of put Carter on the spot for guys that he hasn't, uh, he hasn't watched. So, uh, Carter, we're, we're giving you a little bit of homework in terms of guys. I know you said you got kind of like a next group of 30 that you got to watch. Uh, Devin and I would highly recommend that you add in uh, Dele Harding, the linebacker from Illinois. Uh, this kid is uh, kind of your prototypical size, 6'2", 230, kind of like the, the way that a lot of these linebackers are getting. Um, he's got, I think he had three or four interceptions. He returned one for a touchdown. Uh, and he was only held under a dozen tackles twice this year. Uh, so he he's an impact in the passing game and in the running game. Um, I know, I want to say it's either Nick Farabaugh or it's uh, Jared Feinberg. One of them is another uh, big fan on him. So it's not just us crazy Big Ten guys that are high on him. Uh, and then one that nobody is talking about was the Big Ten's leader in receiving yards, and that's Indiana's Wap Fillier. Uh, not only just an amazing name, uh, fantastic player too. Small guy, 
about 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, I think he's only about a buck eighty. Uh, but he's not your typical like KJ Hamler's type small guy because he can go up and high point the ball, and he did it several times this year. It's one of the reasons why Indiana was such a fun team to watch. Yeah, um, both names. I absolutely love Daley Harden's game, uh, tackling machine all season long. Definitely the leader of the Illinois defense that was uh, much revamped from even early in the season and over the last couple seasons. Um, I think he's, he's probably a, a day two, day three, probably a day three guy. Um, he does have some coverage skills, uh, but he does lack kind of a man coverage when teams are picking him on, picking on him in man coverage. And uh, sometimes he doesn't get deep enough in the zones. And uh, he does have some coverage issues every now and then, but he can fill gaps. Uh, he, he's a strong tackler. And as you can see by tackling toe, he's always around the ball, kind of a sideline to sideline guy. So, I definitely love his game and what he brings to the table. In terms of Wafilier, uh he can be a, a really great slot receiver at the next level. Dynamic can be used in the return game, uh, special teams, uh, you name it. Um, I think he, he plays a lot faster than probably what his actual speed is. Um, I'm curious to see what he runs for his 40 and uh, kind of how he measures up and everything like that. Kind of small, but... Uh, definitely a guy to look out for uh, dynamic talent. Someone like Mike was saying that um, hasn't been talked about a whole bunch uh, this season. So those are, you know, like Mike was saying, two guys that we've, you know, kind of noticed and, and definitely fall in love with uh, covering here at the Big Ten. Yeah, I'm glad um, you mentioned both both those guys because Harding heard great things like you said, not even just from you guys, but uh, other people in the draft community as well. He was part of kind of my next. 30 or so uh, players I'm going to look at next. Um, and WAP, hadn't heard much about him. Uh, knew, again, when looking at stuff, that his stats were kind of were, were pretty good at, in, as far as kind of Big Ten receivers went, but didn't know the extent, didn't even know if he was draft eligible, really didn't know anything about him. Indiana as a team kind of flew well under the radar, even with a, one of their most successful seasons in recent memory. So very curious to check him out and uh, very interested to see if those things you said are true. Yeah, he was a, WAP was a guy where in his first two years, he was like a complete non-factor, uh, whether that was due to injuries or disciplinary things. But this year, uh, Devin and I have kind of equated it to two things. Uh, one, when you have a name like WAP failure, you have to be a boss. <laughs> and two, when you change your number as a wide receiver uh, from, I believe he wore 22, to wearing number one, you have to, you have to ball out. Uh, he's a true junior. There's no guarantee he's obviously going to declare. Uh, but if he does, I think that he's going to be a steal for someone in, in, in late day three. I, I love this kid. I desperately want to get him. I, I want to be able to talk to him on the pod for sure. Uh, are there any other guys from the Big Ten that we didn't really touch on that, that have really caught your eye? And then we'll get you out of here. I mean, obvious names, I guess, like KJ Hill from Ohio State. I'm a pretty big fan. Not kind of the most elite player, but he's similar to almost like a Tyler Lockett in the way he runs, and he's able to kind of use his craftiness to get open, especially in situations against bigger guys. Very kind of aware in zone. He's able to sit well in coverage. Not the greatest athlete, but definitely enough. More kind of agile than fast. Cap ceiling, so I wouldn't say he's kind of quite like a Terry McLaurin. I wouldn't expect really Terry McLaurin out of him. But I did prefer his tape last year, even going back to last year, than Paris Campbell, and Paris Campbell went second round. So yeah, it's a sure. strong receiver class this year. 
and I would not expect him to go near the second round. But if he goes, I mean, it's it's really tough to pin whether these receivers are going to go right now. But I'm kind of expecting him to maybe go round four, and I think some teams going to really get an excellent value there. Uh, one guy I do want to get. All right, so the last guy I want to ask you before we get you out of here. There's he's there's definitely a split opinion. I think you know where I'm going with this. Tyler Johnson. Who? <laughs> some people have him round seven. Some people have him like wide receiver five. So so I'm in the middle of those two camps. Um, it's pretty clear, especially after not getting the Senior Bowl invite, or I guess not yet getting the Senior Bowl invite. With a great East West Ryan game, he could get there. But with basically accepting with with accepting that East West Ryan game invite, it's basically saying the NFL doesn't view him as good as the other eight or so receivers that are currently applied to go there, right? So that's kind of a big thing that, oh, some people have him top five on the receiver list and he can't even crack the top eight seniors, right? That's a concern. But again, that's the NFL's view, not necessarily draft Twitter's view. I'm kind of between the two camps. Do I think he's a late day three guy? No. Do I think he's a round one guy? No. I'm kind of around that kind of round three-ish range. Savvy root runner, crafty root runner. I think his hands could use some work. I've seen some people say that they really like his hands and his high point ability, and I'm not really quite there yet. He can make some great catches in situations like that, but I think he's more of kind of a, a space guy right now. His size suggests more of a contested ball type of guy, but I think he's best kind of using that savvy root running to the best of his abilities. Tough when the receiver opposite of you in Rashad Bateman is a bit better, even and, and that really speaks more to Bateman than than Johnson, because Johnson is also still a great talent. But Bateman, exactly. I, I'm, I'm every time I watch the tape, I'm more excited about Bateman. So not really indicative of Johnson, but just saying that, again, if you're a first-round talent and you're kind of getting clearly outplayed by the other receiver, those two things don't really quite match up. So third, fourth round, no problem with him. I think he's better than kind of seventh round indicates. But... We're talking about a guy, again, if he doesn't get that senior bowl invite, I don't think he's going to wow at the combine. I don't think he's running sub 4-5. Um, I don't think he's going to post great explosion numbers. Do so you add all those things together? And I could see him definitely falling that far, although I don't necessarily think he should. I think you just wrapped up about everything that Devin and I have been saying. I mean, we're, we, we like him, um, but like I have him 68th on my board. Uh, which is kind of right now looking like that's kind of early third round. Um, ironically, I have him in the same uh, area as like some guys that a lot of people would have rated a lot higher, like Devontae Smith, K.J. Hamler, Donovan Peoples-Jones, guys that you've really seen recently get pushed a lot higher than, than Johnson. I still have him rated higher than those guys. But yeah, kind of that, that third round because, again, he... He does everything pretty well, but there's nothing he does outstanding. Bingo, yeah. All right, Connor. Uh, or sorry, God, Carter. Jesus, cut that, <laughs> cut that, cut that right now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, Carter. So uh, thanks for hanging with us tonight. Uh, is there any uh, articles you want to plug for the people? Uh, put me on the spot here. Um, I wrote a NFL topic, kind of more of a heavy piece on mental health in the NFL last week, and I know that got a bit of buzz. Uh, and I'm happy That was such did. a good article, man. I think that's an important kind of situation, um, and, and mental health illnesses kind of are, are important to be aware of, um, and, and it's great that people like Solomon Thomas on the San Francisco 49ers, uh, Brennan Brooks on the Eagles, Tyler Lockett on the Seahawks, all kind of players who are activists in the mental health movement right now. So uh, if you could check that out, be much appreciated. 
All right, man. Uh, we're going to let you go. Uh, we can't wait to see you down in Mobile, man. Uh, it's going to be interesting because I, I heard they, they raised the the age of, uh, of credentials. And, well, you know, you're still in high school, so... <laughs> I'm gonna be. It's gonna be interesting to see how that how that is, considering all of us are are really excited to hopefully be getting our first credentials this year. Um, I mean, I'm but... pu- I'm pulling some strings right now. Some things are in the works, so uh, that that age thing might not be set in stone. So, but yeah, very 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 excited to see you guys too. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, and, thanks uh, thanks for coming on, man. So until next week, guys. For uh, for me, for Devin, and for Carter. Uh, we'll see you guys next week.